1: Guys, welcome to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here. I have Kayla in the house. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Before we get started, I want to thank uh, DreamChasers.com for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you, Adam Carswell. So what I like to do with my guests is I like to let them tell the story, um, and then we kind of go from there. So I'll let you start where you want to.
2: All right. I... uh, started my real estate career shortly after college. I went to school for theater and design technology. And I I worked in New York City for a little bit, worked on a cruise ship for a little bit, and I quickly realized that I hated it. So so I was like, I'm gonna do a total this life change here. Try something else. I was super young. I, I was like, you know, I have nothing to lose. I might as well just give real estate a shot. You know, when you're 20 years old, you you can make that kind of life change and not have much on the line. So I was like, let's give real estate a shot. So I got my real estate license, which at least here in New York, you can do in like three weeks. And uh, I hung my license with Keller Williams was my first office down in the suburbs of New York City. And started doing some residential started doing uh, some leasing sales, that kind of thing hooked up with an investment company down there that was doing a lot of house flipping. So I started as a leasing agent for them. Then I sold a couple properties for them, moved into some project management. Eventually I became their operations manager and I flipped houses with them for about three years. That was awesome. Flipped houses all over the suburbs of New York city, Southern Connecticut, Westchester. And then I decided I really wanted to do rentals, which are super hard in that market. So my hometown of upstate New York and Rochester is actually a really great rental market. And I'd been kind of feeling the pull to move back towards my family anyway. I'm the oldest in my family. I have two younger brothers. So I wanted to be back up here. Um, So I moved back here and I started buying rental properties. We bought our first 30 units last year and we're planning on doing 30 more this year and three flips. So that's where I'm at.
1: No, and I love that. And just to dive into all that stuff, you know, New York's not the easiest market to to do all these things in. But I have met many that thrive in in that. And so as we talk about your story and your buildup, what do you think it is about like everybody that I know that does do it? You know, there's people that complain about it, but there's also a lot of people that have success because you know, people want to live there, there's a lot of business there. So what have you found is the main difference between people that survive in a market like that and, and people that don't?
2: So New York has something called the TPA, which is the Tenant Protection Act, which sounds really great because we want to protect everybody, right? Um, But some of the things that the Tenant Protection Act rolled out actually ends up hurting tenants in the long run. Um, So actually, my husband and I have gotten involved with a lot of the lobbying that's going on right now in New York State to just make sure that landlords and property investors are heard. Um, So all this week, actually, we have calls going on in the different uh, legislative districts in New York, so that's one thing that we're doing is we're not just sitting by and letting, you know, things happen and roll the way that they're going to happen. You know, the tenants are being heard as they should be. Um, and the property owners should be heard as well, because in the long run, if we don't make ourselves heard, the good landlords who really want to you know provide decent, nice housing for tenants are going to get pushed out of the state and nobody wants that. Um, so we're really working hard to make sure that all landlords in New York state are heard. We formed a statewide group that's, uh, working towards that. So, yeah. Um, but some of the things that make a difference, I think is just people come here from out of state sometimes. And especially if you're going to self-manage because property management is limited in the area. Um, they, they have this like laying down the law mindset and that just doesn't work in New York because, The tables have kind of turned, you know, the tenants have a lot of rights here. They have a lot of protection. So if you come in here and you're just like, pay the rent or get out, they're going to be like, ha ha, very funny. Like you can sell the property or get out, you know? So we've had to really adapt our management style, really adapt the way our leases work, um, how we handle non-paying tenants, how we buy our properties. We've had to buy at a lot of, you know, a different formula than maybe you would be in other states. So yeah, I think as as long as you can adapt, you can make it work anywhere, you know.
1: Agreed, agreed. And what was the first uh, property that that you and your husband bought as for an investment?
2: The first property that I bought actually wasn't with my husband; it was with another partner. It was a single-family house for thirty-five thousand dollars, and it rented for nine hundred dollars. And they're still there; those same tenants. They're still there. They're great. They never call. That's like my best house ever. I swear. That little $35,000 house. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have to
1: do any work to it or no?
2: No, they, they already live there. We inherited the tenants. Um, They're an older couple. They're like totally happy in the house. I asked them if there was anything we could do. They're like, Nope, we're good. And they've, they've never called. I check on them every once in a while. They've been my easiest tenants I've ever had. I think there's like beginner's luck. Right. (laughs)
1: It was easing you into it. How long ago yeah. was that?
2: That was, oh, maybe a year and a half ago now. Okay. So I guess maybe okay. I still might get some call from them because it hasn't been that long.
1: <laughs> and what did you buy next?
2: After that, we bought a three pack. So we bought two duplexes and a single family for our next purchase. And, we and that, still was from all-
1: one, that was from one seller?
2: From one seller. Yep. Um, They listed them all independently of each other and I knew I wasn't going to be the highest offer. So I made an offer for all three or none for a package price. And they went with us for the ease of the transaction.
1: For anybody that doesn't understand that, how did you get financing for all three separately or together?
2: I got financing for them together through a private money lender in my area that I met through other investors and networking through the like REI groups in my area.
1: And do you think that you got the property because you wanted to buy, did he give you it for a better price? Cause you wanted to buy all three at the same time?
2: Yeah, they were, it turns out that they were selling because they were just completely overwhelmed. Their life had gotten really busy, so they, while they wanted to obviously make money on the transaction, they were really looking for the easiest, cleanest way out. So the fact that I was going to buy all three properties to them was like, they can just sign on the line. Everything else was taken care of. It was easy. It was cash to them. and They really liked that over the price. So yeah, it's not always the number, I
1: guess. 100%. And what's interesting to me is like you went from one single family house to boom, you're a landlord. How was that experience? Uh, Were you nervous at all?
2: I'm the kind of person that just like, I feel like everything, I'll just make it work out. You know what I mean? Even if there's roadblocks, like we're just, we're just going to work through them and we're going to make it work out. So maybe I didn't even know enough to be as nervous as I should have at the time, you know, but I was like one house, three houses, like how hard can it really be? You know? And I was lucky because I had the training wheels of like being an operations manager for that company for a long time before I went out on my own, you know? So I feel like that was a good like mm-hmm. training ground for me to practice.
1: And, and w- did you have to do any work on those or were they already done as well too?
2: So, you know, what's crazy is I made the offer sight unseen and I went into the properties after, after I could get it. Cause there were tenants in place and they didn't want to bother the tenants with a bunch of showings. So I said, I made the offer sight and scene And then I said, you know, if anything comes up at the showings, we might have to talk about it a little bit. So I went through and the owner was there for the walkthrough. So I pointed out a couple of things and I was like, well, either I'm going to have to do these or, you know, or you're going to have to do them. Some, or we're going to have to work out the price a little bit. So I requested a new hot water tank, a little roof repair and glass block windows in one of the basements because the basement windows were like plywood instead of windows. And they did it all. They agreed to every repair. So when by the time we got into them, I think we turned one unit with a little bit of paint, a little bit of carpet, and then that was it. And we've had the same tenants in that property since then as well. We just had one situation with one of those original tenants that uh, we had to cash for keys, but we worked through it. <laughs>
1: uh, and you've been self-managing these whole properties, yes?
2: Yeah, we self-manage our whole portfolio and i don't see that changing anytime soon um just because so
1: why is that yeah why is
2: that i'm i really like things done a certain way and i feel like i would drive a property manager insane because i just i like the communication with the tenants to happen a certain way i like the leasing process to go a certain way i like to meet my tenants You know, I know some of this is going to have to be automated as we grow and it's going to have to be, you know, somebody else other than me as we grow, but we're starting to bring people onto our team in-house to do that instead of um, just like contracting it out to a third party company, because I really want to have like a hands-on part in that training and the process and say like, this is exactly what I'm looking for when I meet a tenant. I'm looking, you know, at, at this thing I'm looking for them to say these things, I'm looking for them to be on time, this this and that. Like I really like to have control over that process and I don't want to like drive a property manager nuts. So to me, it's been easier so far to just bring people onto the team, train them from the ground up because, you know, it's like they say the worst driver's ed student is someone who's already had their license, right? Like you can't train them as easily. Mm-hmm. So I like just taking someone who's brand new and like has the right attitude and just training them from the ground up.
1: So I spent 20 years in the restaurant business. There is many managers that won't take a server or bartender that's been in the business for 10 years because he has too many bad habits.
2: That's funny. See, it's across the industries. It's so true.
1: Yeah. And and so there's something to be said to have direct communication with your tenant so you're not hearing secondary stories you're not you're not you're not hey are you taking care of this there is something to be said for that i would not easily manage let somebody else manage my airbnbs if i didn't already have gone through four years of it know exactly how the process works exactly what the tenant's going to say so you bought those you're starting to build a portfolio what was the next purchase for y'all
2: Good question. They start to blend together a little bit. The next purchase was a duplex, actually. Oh, that one was fun. Um, So let's
1: take take me through that one.
2: one I, I forgot to
1: ask how 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 are you how are you sourcing these deals? I forgot to ask.
2: Primarily through wholesalers. So we kind of made a decision in the beginning that we don't necessarily have the time or the resources to build out a whole like direct to seller platform for ourselves, at least not in the beginning. Now we're starting to to think about that and and maybe we'll move into something like that in the next year or so. But in the beginning we already we had a big network of wholesalers in our market. And I figured the faster thing to do to ramp up our business was to just tie into that network and 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 really get in touch with those people. So in the beginning, I just drove around and every we buy houses sign that I passed, I'd give them a call and I'd be like, hey, you buy houses, we buy houses. <laughs> like, Let's work together, what can we do? Uh, so that's how we built up our pipeline in the beginning.
1: Awesome. And so tell me about this uh, duplex, this interesting one you said.
2: So we had a little beginner's luck, right? With the first one and then the three, the three pack, it was like everything was rolling really smoothly. So we bought this duplex and I had a guy over there cleaning it out doing just the trash out. And he calls me and he's like, it's raining inside. I was like, what do you mean it's raining inside? Turns out it had been an illegal free family at some point and somebody had illegally plumbed the attic that had then been boarded over. So I didn't even know, I couldn't even get to the attic. We had to rip that down and go up there. Turns out there was all this plumbing that had frozen because it's unheated space now. Mm -hmm. And it was coming from the, the third floor all the way to the basement just water everywhere. So that was a lesson learned, just, you know, thoroughly inspect for, I mean, there were some signs that I could have picked up on now that I'm looking back, you know, there was an electrical wire that ran from the box to the attic um, that was no longer in use, but it was there. So that, you know, could have picked up on that, but we were new. So yeah, flooded the property, added about 10 grand to the rehab, but it didn't kill the deal. It's still a good, it's still a good property, but that was quite a learning lesson.
1: <laughs> so as somebody's listening to the story and you're, you're picking up these properties at a rapid pace, which was only a year and a half ago and we're already up to 30 units, I guess somebody would be asking, you know, you mentioned private funding, but I'm just curious, are, are, do you have, is somebody investing in you? Or are you financing, you know, all this yourself with private money? Just Somebody that's like, oh, how is she picking up all these properties? They'd be, they'd probably want to know.
2: Yeah. So we use a combination of hard money and private money. Um, mm-hmm. I'm lucky to be operating in a really affordable market where the numbers work really well. So I can buy almost exactly on the 2% rule, you know, if you're going by the, the rule of thumb for rent, including my rehab costs, typically. So we have grown a relationship with a hard money lender where they will do... financing on our purchases, uh, no points and an amortized loan. So I have as long as I want to refinance out of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which was obviously not my first hard money lender. You know, we had to build that relationship up. But now that we have that, it means we can acquire at, you know, however, before we were limited by however many units we could refinance in the 12 month term, right? Because we had to like refinance everything before, the balloon payment came up at the end of our 12 month hard money loan. Now that we have it amortized, obviously you don't want to stay in that hard money loan forever, but we're not limited for growth by how quickly we can refinance things because we have a longer amount of time to make that happen. So we also use some private money. If we need to fund like the, that's something that I talked about earlier about changing our formula. We're now fundraising one year of holding costs for the property just in case we get into the property and it turns out that we have a non-paying tenant and we can't evict because in New York state right now, the eviction courts are still closed. So we use a combination of the hard and private money. And then we refinance out usually a few properties at a time in a blanket loan.
1: So, so basically buying properties with tenants or that needs work you're, you're going in, using your hard money guy to get in there, do some work, get a tenant in, and then you're backing the loan out into a, a balloon loan, a portfolio loan, basically for the property. So, you know, a lot of people, I used to, for lack of a better word, work in private equity. I was a hard money loaner for development, new construction. So, so um, a lot of people give hard money loans a, a bad name, but I think there's, there's many different types of them. And I think that what these people, what they're looking for is relationships. Right. And, and, and it might take you time to get to a couple. And that's what I, it seems like that y'all have out to do what you say you're going to do. And when that's the case, I would imagine that they're pretty happy with their relationship they have with y'all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Once you build that relationship, and I've heard this from other people, you know, we're not special. It's like, you can call up your hard money lender and just tell them you have another project and they'll fund it if you've built that relationship. So that's been invaluable for us.
1: 100%. On um, What's the biggest unit that you all bought so far?
2: Our biggest unit is a six unit. So we're still really small, but we're looking to move right. into larger stuff next year. So we're kind of staying the course this year because we have a certain number of units that we need to hit before we change our model.
1: And when when you do, what unit count are you trying to hit?
2: Oh, I think I lost you for a second. Sorry.
1: No, I was just saying, my apologies. I said, what unit count are you trying to hit before you change the model?
2: So we knew once we hit 30 that we'd be financially covered for all of our expenses. And we know once we hit 60, we'll be financially covered with a buffer with money to reinvest. So 60 is the number for us once we hit that. Um, then we're going to slow our roll on the small multi stuff and start to transition our focus into the mid-size space.
1: And was this by was this by looking at numbers, just pure cash flow wise, at a portfolio? Because I, I haven't heard um, this strategy from a lot. You know, a lot of people just want to go straight to the thirty or sixty or hundred units. I think this is an extremely smart tactical plan. To, to have that good base of cash flow and then go out because some of these deals take a long time to come through.
2: Yeah. We knew that we wanted to, you know, buy ourselves out of our jobs quickly, more or less, because I had my first son six months ago and I really wanted to be home with him. So that was a huge goal of ours. Um, and we knew that we knew this, not to be redundant, we knew the small multi space well. Um, we have a formula for it. We have a proven system and track record for it at this point. So we, we know we can grow quickly in that space. So if we can hit these numbers first, there's no pressure on the, the midsize multi. We're not pressured to go out and do something that we've never done before. Um, we know that if shit hits the fan, um, we can pay back our investors and we don't need to make a profit on that, um, midsize multi project when we get to it if it comes to that because you know everyone says their first one can be a little bit rocky so we want to plan for that um so yeah when we started we set this plan from the very beginning um and it hasn't changed so we kind of worked backwards from our numbers and set a unit goal and yeah it's, it comes down to the cash flow for us so we calculate our cash flow before and after the refinance so this would be 60 units before the refinance even goes through we are covered
0: mm-hmm
1: I love that. And so for anybody that's maybe they haven't got started in investing or they're figuring it out, uh, you've been through the war a little bit. You've gained some traction in a short amount of time, you know, almost a year and a half with a nice set of units. People would be very happy to have 30 units. What advice would you give to them? um, Good or bad or easier or harder than you thought?
2: I think it was, not easier or harder than I thought necessarily. It's just taking the action. I feel like I talk to a lot of people and even, you know, with my husband, sometimes he's so like learning oriented, which is amazing. Um, and you have to learn before you do it. Right. But at a certain point you have to just stop and take action. You know, you can analyze hundreds of deals, but if you never buy one, you're not really making progress. Um, so I think just taking consistent action. And taking at least one step towards your goal every single day. By the end of the year, you're going to be 365 more steps towards your goal, right? So for me, it's just as long as we're moving in that direction every single day with something, no matter how small it is, then we're getting there. So I think just taking action and not having the analysis paralysis that a lot of people get stuck in, that's my biggest thing.
1: 100%. And I am... The reason that we're having this podcast now and not in March is because something's <laughs> happening, and uh, I don't want to stress you out anymore. But I'm very <laughs> excited about this. So, so tell me what's going on. Walk me through it because I'm this is I'm super happy about it.
2: So, further than financial independence, location independence is one of our biggest. Goals. When I first met my husband, it's something we talked about from like our very first date is that we both wanted to travel and not just the like two weeks vacation a year kind of travel, right? Like we wanted to go to Italy for two months and be able to like stay there and really experience it, right? So we're taking baby steps towards that and we're leaving for the entire month of March, whether we're ready or not, to (laughs) stress test our systems and see how well our business can operate and grow while we're not here. So we've set up as much as we possibly can beforehand in place. And uh, I'm nervous about it, but we'll see how it goes. You got to just pull the trigger at some point, right? (laughs)
1: 100%. Where are you going?
2: We're just going down to Ocean City, Maryland for a month because I figured, you know, worst case scenario, we can drive back.
1: 100%. And For anybody that's looking to do this, whether it be a week, 10 days, a month, three months, what have you put in place? What are you trying to put in place? Kind of things that you're trying to get your business ready for something like that. Because I know that everybody I talk to, this is probably one of their main goals is to be able to travel and work.
2: So something we did that might be a little crazy is we put this trip on the calendar like five months ago when we were nowhere near ready. And we knew we were nowhere near ready, but we put it on the calendar anyway, because if you're not working towards a deadline, I don't know about you, but I work best under pressure. So if I set a deadline for myself and like a hard out, I know I'm going to, I'm going to get there. But if it's just like a, an endless goal where you're like, someday I'd like to have financial independence, you know, someday, when is someday that doesn't do anything for me. So we put it on the calendar, we made it real. uh, And then we built our business from the very beginning with scalable systems that could handle a lot more units than we had at the time which it might feel silly building a system for 1,000 units when you only have two, but it's way easier to build the systems in the beginning than to retroactively build the systems after you're already drowning in lease renewals that you're having trouble tracking because you, you know didn't build a system from the start. So I think just building systems that were outpacing the growth of our company helped so that we're never like, behind on the operations front, if that makes sense.
1: No, it 100% makes sense. I, I do the same thing. And anytime I'm walking into a business or building it, it we're, we're building it out here and then building it back. But also I'm building it where I can fire myself from the business eventually. Like Because what people don't understand is that everybody – wants different things. So you and your husband might want to travel, but there's a lot of people that don't and they just, and they're happy to build or run your business from where you are. And so if that's your goal, then you build it up with that scenario in mind. And so how are you sleeping right now? Cause uh, March 1st is coming.
2: Well, you know, there's traveling with the business, right? And then there's traveling with a six month old for a month. So we're like, all right, <laughs> going to be fine we got to fit it all in one car but it's going to be fine <laughs> but uh no yeah. we're doing all right it's funny that you that you mentioned that people want those different things because it just reminds me of my husband again because he read cash flow quadrant which I'm sure you've heard of if not read but he's like how could anyone operate in the other quadrants like he just didn't <laughs> you know he he's an entrepreneur right he's like Sometimes he's like, "Oh, I feel bad for for people that are in the, the employee mindset or the, you know, owner-operator mindset. And I was like, you can't feel bad because like you said, those people want different things than you. Some people mm-hmm. want a stable nine to five, go in and then leave your work at work job. And so, yeah, finding those people to fill those positions is, that's been definitely a learning process, but that's been key because yeah, not everybody wants to, to go away for a month. So some people that's nuts. They want to live there. Yeah life, right? But yeah, well, I'm sleeping so-so right
1: now. <laughs> yeah. In in September, I've got two masterminds in Tahoe. We're going to be in California for the whole month of September. I think we're going to be down in Colombia for July, you know, Columbia, the country. And, wow. and people, are, people are like, a lot of people are like, hell, no, I don't want that at all. And then we're going to Costa Rica next month. So, but that's, but that's what I like, you know, because I could take my business on the road and and there's a great book. It, that your husband would probably, if he hasn't read it, would get a kick out of you too. It's called "Built to Sell. Uh, it's, it's a, it's,
2: just recommended that to me last week.
1: I just finished it. Amazing book, um, made me think about a lot. And then, you know, it's interesting that I think the number one problem that people have is, is kind of staying on the same topic is, mm-hmm. is understanding that is that we as entrepreneurs or CEOs, we also have to paint the picture This is what something I work on all the time to our employees. Meaning, I have a lot of guy. I have a guy. You know, a couple guys that work for me now. Like, yeah, we're smaller now, but like here, I already know where we're going. But if I don't communicate that with them, then they're not they're not understanding why they have to take, let's say, a pay cut now but I'm growing up to you taking over this thing, you know? And so we have to, and this is in relationships, this is in business and everything. We got to make sure that we properly communicate our vision, right? The vivid vision, the book that Brandon Turner always recommends um, to, to our spouse, to our employees, to the tenants, you know, there's so many things. It's like, there's a lot of landlords out there that you hear from that don't, they don't like to let their tenants know that they're the landlord, like they're the owner, right? You don't seem to have that problem. Um, I would imagine that you you love, you know, like you take, what I've noticed just in this small conversation, you take pride in ownership of property. And so you're going to make sure that your tenants are happy because if they're happy, they're going to stay longer, right? I mean, that's probably the way you look at it.
2: Yeah. And a big, like you said about, you know, communicating the vision and also just aligning incentives for us has been a big... Eye opening strategy across the board, not just with employees, but also with partners with tenants. Also, if you can align your incentives with your tenants, yeah, your tenants are going to be so much happier. But, yeah, from the beginning, a big goal of ours was to provide I mean, the, the term for us is respectable housing for people. So, mm-hmm. if it's not stainless steel, you know, appliances and granite countertops, it's safe, it's clean, it's updated, it's nicer than everything else in the neighborhood. Um, and so people want to stay long-term and that that aligns our incentives with people. You know, they want to stay somewhere long-term and make it a home. We really encourage that through our policies and the way we manage. And so that's aligned with our incentives of keeping our tenants long-term.
1: Mm-hmm. And in this market, which I think is the two to six to, you know, two, four, six units, which I think is an underserved market. There's not enough housing out there. Um, what do you love? about that asset class that that does so well for your business and just the way that you like to run your business?
2: So we love this asset class because we can run it like a large business. And yet we're really only competing with other small businesses. So there's not huge institutional players uh, buying this asset class for the most part. So I can easily pick up, you know, 15 units of small multi because I'm only competing against other local landlords for the most part. Um, and yet, even though they're in separate buildings, I can manage 15 units because of the systems we built out in almost the same way as I would manage a 15 unit building. Very similar when it comes down to the systems that we've built out. So if you can automate things, you can really take this asset class and build it as big as you want to.
1: No, 100 percent. And what's exciting to me is that if you look, because I love to follow just psychology of renters, more importantly, like inventory, inventory around the nation. Maybe, I don't know New York that much, but I know in other markets, Arizona, Texas, you know, Nashville, all these, there's not a lot of these. So you're, I think you're going to have a lot of tenants, right? Because it, it, on the, on the basis it's easier to rent those and they don't have to be, you know, double A's. They don't have to be amazing. People just want a nice place to live in. and And as these markets, uh, Nashville, Austin, San Francisco, LA, become more expensive, you know, and, and we move to a more, you know, location, not dependent work environment. I think you're only going to see a rise. You know, I have a friend who lives out in Bay city, Michigan, who owns like 30 units out there. I've never heard of it, never been to it. Uh, but he says rents have gone up 200 bucks in the last two wow. years. And so he got in those, you know, he got in those 12 units or, or six units for like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, it's crazy.
2: Yeah. And I think it's something to say about the class of tenants also, because I think our tenants view it as a step up. A lot of times they're moving out of larger buildings where they might have to, you know, walk down a hallway to get to their unit, not allow pets. Um, And then for them, it's kind of a step between the apartment building and homeownership. So we get a lot of people that are going to rent from us for a few years before they want to buy their own house. So it's kind of nice Mm -hmm. to be able to get that higher quality of tenant in the smaller properties.
1: No, I love that. And uh, so I've been seeing you host some Clubhouse rooms. Uh, you kind of jumped in the water there. Um, how's that going for you? Have you been networking? Do you like it? You know, how's that going for you?
2: I love Clubhouse because I just genuinely love people. And so being able to make those not face to face, but you know, voice connections, it's so real time, it's so raw. And I've made such amazing connections over the past, I think I've only been on for like two months now, maybe. Um, But I've already had offline conversations with so many people. And people are just so willing to share what they're doing with other people. And I've done the same thing for other people who are wanting to learn about the space that I'm in. And especially in COVID time, when we can't go out to these REI meetups, or you know, can't necessarily, you know, some places are a little bit more open now than New York is, but New York is definitely still a little bit closed down as far as meetups and things go. It's been nice to be able to still have that networking component with other people. Um, And, you know, your network is your net worth, right? Everybody always says that, but it's so true. I don't know how I would have been able to meet and network with some of the amazing fundraisers and apartment syndicators and, you know, people like you who have these amazing podcasts. I think I met you on Instagram, but still I see you on Clubhouse all the time. So it's been a really awesome opportunity to connect with people. 100%
1: percent And if people want to find out more about you or follow your journey, how would they do that?
2: Instagram is the best way to get me. I'm that landlady on Instagram. Um, you could go to our website. It's great with an E, greatcapitalgroup.com. capital um, Yeah, I think that's the best ways to reach me.
1: I love it. Guys, if you like this episode, make sure you send it out to your friends and we truly appreciate y'all listening. Thank you.